eighty percent of a of an army is uh, a medevac that yeah. heals everything in, infinitely. Baron <laughs> is unfair. Anyway, right. go well, on. Well, you know, it's a couple thousand <laughs> minerals and like a thousand gas in like right, under right. hundred army, right? Welcome to Pick Up Your Sticks, where we talk about why gaming matters with your hosts Walker Near and Brett Lindley. I'm Walker, and this week we chat about Supreme Commander, which, despite being from 2007, brings some unique mechanics and a sense of scale to the RTS genre that is largely unmatched 14 years later. If you want to support Pick Up Your Sticks, you can always buy us a cup of coffee at our Ko-Fi page, which is ko-fi slash pod. So what's up, Brett? What's got you picking up your sticks this week? I have it, it was it was the perfect timing uh, because it went on sale and I refused to pay twenty dollars for like, I don't know, at least a 10 year old game, uh, probably more. Oh, God. Oh, God. It probably is more. I don't want to know. I'm going to look real quick before I even say. <laughs> oh, it's what more. it is. It's it is more. more. It's definitely way more. Yeah uh 2007 <laughs> i kind of i'm gonna be real honest i'm not gonna do it because i'm saying it now but there's a part of me that wants to see how long i can prod you to see how long we can go without actually saying the name <laughs> <Right>. of the game. <laughs> 14 years ago about? what are we talking about this week oh man the <laughs> graphics were something else back then it's a, actually there are discussion topics that i have about this game that are the impressiveness of the game despite the amount of time yeah. But I will say what it is instead of leading on with <laughs> Supreme Commander and oh. uh, specifically Supreme Commander Forged Alliance, uh, which is the expansion pack sequel-ish. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure it's an expansion pack. I think I have it, uh, which I know, shocking. <laughs> Well, there's something me... there's another game that we could trade plays on <laughs> i'll play back for back for blood if you play supreme commander with me <laughs> if only so that i might be able to win in like with my tidy amount of extra knowledge that i have <laughs> Ooh, i do not yeah so i do um like but i i actually own the disc copy like the physical oh i think i do too actually copy of it <laughs> but, but specific, in... you need a steam key to play the on the new online version which we're oh gonna, i you see you have to have a steam key yeah. so i have supreme commander 2 in my Me steam too. library i did have supcom 2 um and yeah i was not gonna pay 15 20 for supcom and the expansion pack another 15 dollars it went on sale for like two dollars and thirty cents, <laughs> so I'll I'll do that. And I'm right. yeah, I have I have a CD key of the original and uh, and have Supcom two uh, in Steam, but I did not have Supcom one, so I picked it up. Nice. So yeah, so yeah, Supreme Commander. Um, so what I remember from it is that, and I only had one monitor, mm -hmm. but it was it was said that you could like have your overworld map on one display and then like the actual game screen that you're playing the RTS on, on the other screen. Is that correct? Or is that? Yeah, yeah okay. that is, that is correct. Uh, it, 
doesn't I, I haven't quite fiddled with it on my new setup because my second monitor is vertical and a mm-hmm. rat like a wildly different display type and and I think even size it's like a whole different brand and everything mm. um so I was trying to lock it into one monitor mode which Nvidia didn't love um but there is a mod called like the F Nvidia fix uh because their drivers apparently are terrible for for this game and it just like locks Nvidia's drivers into a specific like it like gives you a driver that it locks it into only while it runs that game <laughs> wow okay um but yeah it was the first it was the first rts that tried to pull a crisis like if you wanted to run supreme commander the way it was supposed to be played you had to have like dual what like firewired cards or whatever it was called when you had like the little clip that like glee if it was nvidia right and like max video card time but not only could you not just have your mini map on the other monitor, like the game is like an infinite zoom sort of thing, not infinite. Yes. But you could zoom all the way out and that was your mini map and then zoom all the way in to get like a battlefield view or whatever. And yeah, you could run, you were doing a, a dual monitor uh, strategy game, which was so crazy for the time. Right. So I have to say, and this is not related to the game, but, I'm so glad that we are past the era of you need two video cards in your PC. Can you imagine now with the shortage and just the cost, even even if you get to buy it at manufacturer's price, mm-hmm. if you had to do two? Yep. No one would ever have a new computer ever again. We'd all just have to switch to mobile gaming. That's we'll all just get Xboxes. Left. Right. And yeah, because they have video cards. <laughs> hey. Uh. <laughs> Remember when consoles used to have proprietary hardware? Yeah. That's I mean, not... that was that was a huge selling point of the GameCube was that was an ATI card. Oh. Like, or ATX? No, AT, yeah, ATI. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, ATI was the NVIDIA competitor, and I guess still is, and then AMD is the Intel competitor, and they right. kind of Intel and NVIDIA. ATX is, is the style of motherboard. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um. Anyway, but yeah. So yeah, so it's so it's definitely like you said the crisis of its time, but it's it's trying to push resource constraints like hardware resources at, at right. the time. Yeah, it was, and I and it it did an amazing job. And in fact, I think, in my opinion, even to today's standards, does a lot that I always wanted to see from a real time strategy game, and the amount of stuff that is rendered. Um, even by to, even even though it's a 2007 game played today uh, is still ridiculous and more than I've seen in any other strategy game basically ever. Hmm. Yeah, my memory of playing Supreme Commander, I'm pretty sure it was the first one. It was probably just a campaign mission because I did. It's not like I was some veteran of it or something, but whatever it was, I played. I was in a a really long fight with the enemy, and it just. I played for like two hours straight and I couldn't figure out how to kill them. Like they couldn't kill me either, but I couldn't ever get enough of an advantage where I could just finish them off. Right. And I think I just kind of quit that session and that might've been the end of it as it is with so many games for me. (laughs) Well, it just did. It did so many things that I was so mad that 
never i mean like starcraft never did and and none of the sequels ever did like nobody else took what they've done in a strategy game and like iterated on it and there's Mm. so many things like the dual monitor is one the second one is that the campaign has expanding maps instead of like you play through level one and then you go to level two and you start with a whole new base and whole new resources and everything in supreme commander you finish level one and then the map exponentially grew like your map is now the lower left corner the whole map Mm. is now just the lower left corner including all the resources that were at the enemy's base that you just crushed right and now we zoom out a level and the map just grows in size one stage and it could do that like two or three times Hmm. and or an enemy force could attack from another side or teleport in or something and like you're not rebuilding your whole base. You're not starting from ground zero. You, In fact, it's almost harder because you have to use what you have against a new threat. Maybe they're, the map expands and now they have ocean naval you know, forces, right? And you're stuck on land. So you've got to figure out how to adapt all of your stuff over to that. Like, it, that's huge because it means that the campaign is only like, I don't know, six maps long or something like that, right? Mm. But each map has two or four stages to it. That makes it really interesting. I, I hate rebuilding my base every time. And and they're like, oh, you've unlocked one new unit, so now build all the things for that. No, you just unlock the unit, and you don't have the... They're like, hey, there's naval forces, so we're giving you access to all of our naval schematics. But you still have all of the resources and base that you just had, so like, have at it, you know? Yeah. So the game, the modern game that did remind me of this, that I don't know how much you've looked at. I think we've talked about it before briefly, and I've played it, I mean, 1.3 hours. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. Uh, ooh, there's a classic and a newer version, though, combined. I'm a little over three hours. Anyway, um, <laughs> combined. <laughs> but that is a game called Ashes of Singularity. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I have played Ashes of Singularity. So it's it's like, you know, back of the box gotcha comment or whatever uh, was, which doesn't make any sense in a digital storefront world. You know what I mean? Um, is that it was the first RTS to have a minimum requirement of four cores on the processor ah, uh, so that it could utilize all four. And, and their claim was that the AI is better than AI in any other RTS because all other RTSs are limited to one core. Right. And I, this and like this... gives the AI a whole core to itself or something like that. Well, right? but it's not just so AI is not just an enemy AI. It's also like pathfinding. Oh, right? OK. All yeah, of yeah, that yeah. stuff, like all of the things that the computer controls, if you will, for lack of a better way to say that uh, are supposed to be superior. I don't think it, it shares Supreme Commander's uh, scope in quite the same way, but it's definitely, and, and and this is why I say the pathfinding, because it's a game where you can create units and then send them to off together and they will like all adjust to the speed of the slowest unit. Right. Or you, you could do some of that in Supcom as far as like staging your attacks, because the maps would get so huge mm-hmm. that you kind of had to have a constant front while you built up a strike force. Right. And you may want to split, like basically being able to micro at a very broad level, right? Like from, so you'd want a set of bombers coming in from one side and you want to sweep a few scouts through to scout where they want to go and then have the interceptors arrive just ahead of the bombers so that the anti-air guns 
focus on the interceptors while your bombers do bombing and the interceptors can intercept any air forces that try to come back. And like, but you want to be able to time that stuff out. And you could do a little bit of that in Supreme Commander. That is something that, again, in StarCraft is all all of that is micro at the actual micro level where you're clicking individual units and, and moving them. And in Supreme Commander, you're more microing large chunks of your units. You may split a force or something like that, but you're not microing for the most part individual units. Right. Yeah, I think... Um... I don't. I, I mean, I know. I know the difference that you're describing, and yeah, I mean, it's like in in StarCraft. You know, you take your stalker, and not me, of course, but there are some people <laughs> who can like blink to dodge siege tank shots with a right. single stalker and stuff. And we're just even the way more common use of stalker blink micro is like, hey, my stalkers at the front took a few shots and their shields are gone, so now I'm going to blink them to the back, and that's fine, but. So Ashes of Singularity um, is now in my head, but it's similar to what you're talking about with this, where it's like you're much more focused on there's it is still micro, but it's not to the individual blink this one stalker to the back of right. the line, um, which frankly, I think, which is <laughs> how dare I say, given all of our StarCraft content, but <laughs> I think that um, I think it's more appealing to me because the truth is, is that as much as I like Starcraft, as we all know, I'm not very good at it. And part of that is, is that the individual unit micro, like really getting good at that isn't actually that appealing to me. Like, I don't want to yep. practice with a single stalker to be. I don't even want at it. I, I'm not the biggest fan of spellcasting. Yeah, like, it was the it was my my biggest turnoff. And the reason that I wanted to throw Warcraft three into the garbage bin, as we've discussed, is like hero micro and spell casting and all of these things. I'm like, no, I want a strategy game where I am playing as the commander, like command and more closer to command and conqueror, where I'm the commander sitting in a bunker on a space station guiding right. this battle, not I'm telling individual units where to go and how to move and casting the spells and being super keyboard warrior time. Like, no, I want to, I want to play it more like a game of chess that has cool battles going on. <laughs> well, and I think that, I think that maybe the, you know, I think the reason that Starcraft won, if you will, the RTS genre um, is because in a competitive sense, that individual unit micro and, and just the way that it's designed lends itself to there being clear gaps in skill, right? Where if you can get really good at it and you can demonstrate that and someone else can't just understand the meta and recreate what you're doing. Um, but it also makes more exciting moment to moment interactions where, yes. some, where there's like you said, with a skill gap also comes uh, a, a point where people can mess up, right? And those critical moments are much faster, much harder hitting. And it's a lot more obvious where the mistake came from. Like, oh, he blinked into the wrong spot. Oh, he blew his banelings up on a rock. Like, and now the battle happens two seconds later. Where in a lot of these more grand strategy games, the action is a lot slower. And the mistakes compound in a snowball effect but they're not as immediately punishable, right? And so there's just not as much in-your-face TV value action for, for what's going on. Well, and I think, I mean, you know, obviously you and I have 
gained not only just the enjoyment, but I mean, even some <laughs> like, dare I say, life lessons from playing competitive StarCraft. But so my point in this, in, in all of this prefacing is my point is not to hate on StarCraft or something, but the truth is, is that for me, outside of playing StarCraft with my buddies, like ladder StarCraft has never been something that I've just done like for months on end. Like I've done right. it for weeks on end. But it's never been something that I'm just going to go do only. And the, the reality is, is that really with RTS games, it's not competing against other people that's my highest value from it. And it's not, so thereby it's also not esports. You know, it doesn't matter. Um, right. Yeah, like I want to play against, I, I like playing the AI. I like playing, to your point, the slower, it's almost kind of like, it, I mean, it's very different gameplay, but it's almost like a, a step between the Starcraft Age of Empires style RTS and Civilization, right? This turn-based right. style. I mean, and it's I, not I would, as slow as that, but... I mean, and in a lot of ways, too, especially, I think, in terms of Supreme Commander, certainly, uh, it gives that Creeper World vibe. It's mm. almost a tower defense. Right. It's, it's way more active, but it's almost a tower defense game. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I think that that a more active tug of war is for me pretty engaging. So, right. So then the question is, is in Creeper World where the enemy is this liquid that can take over almost all of the map. Is that one enemy or is each individual pixel of the, <laughs> of <liquid>? the Creeper? <laughs> yeah. So does Creeper World actually have the most enemies on screen of Probably. any game is the question. Probably it has an or, infinite... or it has the fewest. Cause yeah, because it's one. <laughs> it's somewhere on the end of the spectrum, one way or the other. It's somewhere between one and infinite. <laughs> <laughs> We're on to you, Knucklecracker. Um, um, yeah, so I mean, so the thing is, is like we've said, Supreme Commander is not the what you would think of as there's actually like two, even if you call Forged Alliance, which is I would call like the brood war of Supreme Commander, right? It's the it's the version of it that's the most commonly played. But there's an expansion pack, which yeah, doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, right. It's not DLC. Even. It's a it's a full expansion pack um, with its own sub campaign. Yeah. Um, but Supreme Commander 2 came out and then uh, a um, God, what do they call that when it's like a, an honorary sequel? But it's like some of the same people, but not all of them. Spiritual spiritual successor. There we go. The spiritual successor of uh, Planetary Annihilation, which is somewhere in between uh, Total Annihilation, which is the game that Supreme Commander is a spiritual successor to. Yeah. And and Supreme Commander is is Planetary Annihilation. Um, and I have that one and I've played a fair amount of that one. Um, my dad actually. Planetary Annihilation it. is newer. Than yeah, it is the newest. Yeah. yeah. So there's like two full blown sequels um at least spiritually and one directly of supreme commander uh but forged alliance is the one that i got hmm. and i got it because uh there is still to this day a thrive i don't know if i'd call it thriving thriving in the rts genre doesn't take a lot <laughs> to, to to get that mark but there is an active uh community for competitive Supreme Commander Forged Alliance. So after I just went through this whole spiel about how it's separate from StarCraft because it's not designed for that, 
actually the hook for you is that it's an esport. Yes, <laughs> it's easier. Well, and so here's the thing, though. He, like, and and here's even the greater thing because I think it's one of the biggest falterings, arguably, in the StarCraft esports world, is that the esport of Supreme Commander, like, on the smallest end, is mostly two v two, and on the largest end, uh, again, a great feat for this game, especially you know, in modern times and, and maybe helped out by the, the fact that there is still a, a patch community for it is that a lot of the really cool games that I've seen are five V five and seven V seven. Wow. The maps are stupid, huge, <laughs> bigger than big game hunters. Yes. Yes. Bigger <laughs> than big game hunters. Like I think like at least four to, to eight orders of magnitude larger. Wow. Than, than big game hunters. Yeah. And you're you've got seven V seven with space between them. But it almost doesn't seem like battles happen within the first few minutes of a seven V seven still though. So yeah, so it's, it's ridiculous. What are the you know what are the races? Because like StarCraft is the one thing that I think also really separates StarCraft from a lot of RTS is that a lot of RTSs, I mean, even Command and Conquer, the GDI and the Nod are are different, but they're not Zerg and Terran different. Right. 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 So what does it look like in Supreme Commander? What is the race mix or whatever? So I'd say that races, but it, it kind of is. So it's factions. in between <laughs> factions. Yeah. It is in between uh Command and Conquer and StarCraft. I'd say probably a little bit closer to Command and Conquer in the beginning and closer to StarCraft near the end game. So okay. and in fact, in Forged Alliance, the fourth race was introduced. So another thing that sets it apart is that there are four factions. Mm. Um, There are three factions that are kind of largely the same. And then the fourth faction, which is like alien. Um, But they're (laughs) the the Aeon, the Cybran, the UEF or United Earth Federation, and then the Seraphim. Okay. Um, And in the early game, there's still a lot of differences. And I can't get into all of them. Because there's actually a ridiculous number of units and structures and buildings and strategies that are available, and each race capitalizes on a different set of them. Oh, okay. Um, like they do play it closer to where, you know, again, probably closer to Command and Conquer overall, but still separate enough that there's a strategic, there's a type of strategy that if you play to, that race will work better for, right? Mm. And there are a lot of very specific units that, like, everybody has a light tank, but the Cybern light tank can also reclaim resources or have very low amounts of, like, uh, ability to build structures or help upgrade units or things like that. And, uh, And some technologies are only available to certain races or at least available early or better than in some way. Um, stealth is a very big thing because there's a fog of war, but there's also different levels of like radar where mm-hmm. in similar to the Terran, uh, sensor tower where you can see that there are enemy units out there. You just don't see what they are. There's a level of radar that you can get that eventually you can get like full map radar, but oh, that okay. doesn't give you full map vision. So you can see and you can assume that a cloud of things moving very fast around the edge of the maps, probably flying units, you know, mm-hmm. um, but you don't know what. Right. And 
so scouting is still very important. Um, and so being able to cloak or stealth those units from showing up on radar is super important. And hmm. the Cybran are the kind of sneaky, get get a lot of cloaking abilities type race. Um, the And everybody's got, the, where the differences start to really lock in is there are tiers of units. So there's essentially three primary tiers of units and then a fourth quote-unquote tier, which is like super units. Okay. So you've got like tier one units as all your light tanks, your scouts, and you make them from tier one factories from tier one materials. And tier two is like medium weight units and tier three are like kind of really strong but expensive units. So you'll hear like in the competitive scene, you'll have tier one spam, which is essentially you want a screen of cannon fodder at the front line because it's cheap. You mass produce literally a hundred of them and you have them run in front of your main force so that they get targeted first. And then you have tier two and tier three units behind them that are doing the actual damage to stuff. Um, each of the races have different sets of what could be considered artillery, uh, missiles, missile defenses, and there's a there's a lot of tug and tug of war items. So you can have strategic missile launchers that can actually do a, a crazy amount of damage for just having three or four of them. You could essentially there's a lot of sniping your command unit, right? So everybody, you have one unit your commander that is like a giant robot mecha and if it dies you die okay and it can make buildings and it can fight and it can be upgraded different is ways is that the only way to lose pretty much yeah okay um even if all of your buildings get taken out if you if your commander exists and you hide somewhere on the map then you can try to rebuild okay um and they can be upgraded too so you can upgrade them to be able to build cuz like to get to tier three buildings, you either have to have a tier one building that builds a tier one engineer that builds a tier two building that builds a tier two engineer, or you upgrade your commander with the tier two suite. So it can now build tier two buildings. I see. But you can also upgrade your commander with like tier two guns or a instead of in tier two yeah or it doesn't you could have all of them but it takes a lot of time to upgrade your commander and they can't move or fight while they're doing it uh, okay. so you become vulnerable when you're upgrading so you want to pick those upgrades if you're if you're in a 7v7 and you're on like the front line then you're probably going for weapon upgrades so that you could pressure the enemy and join your own army to like to keep steady pressure on the front line and and try to win a battle there. If you start in a 77 all the way in the back, then you probably want teleportation or upgrades that are going to let you build faster because you're probably going to be the person that's doing air control, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're all the way at the back of the map, so you're probably the most defended early on and the best way that you could help everybody else instead of sending land units trucking across half the map to get there late, you probably want air superiority stuff. Hmm. Um, so there's kind of roles that you start settling into on your team and, uh, and you're going to want to make tran transports and things like that, that can do strike because you can have strike missions across the map 
and try to land on the enemy territory in the back lines and establish a foothold there. And you building 10 transport vehicles is going to help your team more than having somebody on the front line who's constantly getting pressured, having them do it, you know? Right, right. Hmm. Yeah, it's pretty interesting as a as a team game because you don't really see that in, I mean, not just RTS, but I mean, even like chess. Right. Now, that's not, as, that's not entirely fair, I guess. You get into like, some of the actual grand strategy games like Civilization or Stellaris, those actually have multiplayer options that are, are pretty popular where it's multiple people, but they're not. That's not fair. Stellaris is real time. It's just different, though. <laughs> like, it's just not. It's not common. Yeah. Well, it's. I just mean Stellaris's version of real time is not. Oh, it's not totally real time. It kind is, of is. There's no turns. Like it's it's like Sins of a Solar Empire where it's constantly running, but you're not landing on a planet and managing that small of a fight, right. if you will, right? Like it's all spaceships and that. I mean, you can bombard a planet, but it's literally just your ships in space attacking. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> right, yeah. So, um but yeah, that's but it's still it's still cool. And those games are also designed where each player is their own nation state and they have their own governments to run and all of this, whereas this is purely a war strategy game. Right. Or battle strategy, whatever you want to call it. And so um I think that's pretty unique for that specific genre to feature team play at that level. Um Yeah. And especially, especially yeah, a seven V seven. Yeah, for, and, and to have it run smoothly with the number of units, because there's not, like, you don't have a supply cap. You, okay, yeah, I was going to ask Starcraft, that. Is there... Yeah, there's no supply cap. So you choose what you invest in. You can invest in all Tier 1 units, but, like, a single Tier 2 can probably kill 20 Tier 1 units. Right. And, like, a Tier 3 could probably kill 50 on its own. Right. And so the level of screening that you do and what types of screening you do depend on what, like you have to adjust to the battlefield. And it's so interesting because there are enough mechanics to sway the game, especially when we get into super units that you can be, your whole team can be down three or four players. And if you use good strategy, you can still come back and win because again, the biggest deal is, like you could snipe an enemy commander, right? That takes out their whole there depending on if full. So there's full share, which is if you die, your team inherits all of your stuff. And then there's just, if you die, all of your stuff explodes. Oh, wow. Um, And so if you find, and even if you inherit all of your team's stuff, it's inheriting a lot that you suddenly you have to manage. Like you're the air guy and you just inherited all of the frontline commanders garbage, right? right? Like you have to set up all new hotkeys, figure out how, what front are you managing? What are you doing in the battle? The maps are huge. There's information overload is a very real thing. And I just want to reclare. I, I, I think I already know, but, and I get that you're saying snipe because, the rest, it's not like all of the army is dead otherwise, or all the infrastructure has been destroyed. But it's not snipe as in, like, it's a gimmick, because that's, again, that's literally the win condition right. exclusively, is to kill the commander. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because it's like, it's basically one of those things where if your team is really good at informational or map awareness, and are sending out frequent scouting plays, and pinging the map, 
and keeping an eye on enemy commanders, if you find the the air commander on the other team is in a really forward position, maybe trying to do some cheeky move or get his commander, because like commanders have a lot of utility too. They can reclaim resources from the map. They can do all sorts of like special things. They have really powerful guns. If they get a lot of kills, they, there's a veterancy uh, like thing within the game where they level mm. up so they get more hit points. So mm. you kind of are encouraged to get them on the front line and use them. But if you find some commander out of position with a scout and can send in even a few tier two or tier three like gunships or bombers or teleport a, a small chunk of units in or hit him with a nuclear strike or any of these things and kill that commander, the opponent's team is down and has to either deal with absorbing all of those units and have somebody playing two bases at once or all of them just explode. So I am, and I don't, I don't mean this to like put you on the spot or something yeah. and it might sound that way. And that's not my point, but I am, I, I do find it interesting that the commander is as intriguing as it is, but the hero unit in Warcraft was such a turnoff because it seems like the commander is, I mean, it's not fantasy, so I get that it's not a hero in that way, but it's this one ultra powerful. And in this case, it's even more important than the hero because if it dies, it's the game. It, it, did that click at all? Or I mean, it, it does to an extent. I think the bigger deal was that there's like, there's basically like one ability Outside of building buildings, which is just kind of your standard fare for an RTS, is that like it can have an overcharge that you can stack up that like shoots a very powerful shot. Outside of that, there's no special abilities. There's only a few levels of veterancy that you can get. Um, they take a lot to get. But for me, the problem with Warcraft 3 was that the focus was either the hero or the army. Mm. where like you had to focus one or the other. And I guess you could make an argument for that in Supreme Commander as well. But I think in Supreme Commander, it's a lot more about you set up a waypoint and just flood that spot with units. And then either you're putting them in a waypoint that puts them in reserve for you to attack at a specific time, or you're putting them on the front line and just sending a constant stream at that area. Uh, yeah, that, the, my description of my play with it that I'm recalling vaguely, um, where it was just this like, this just a never ending kill box that just mm -hmm. wouldn't, that's what it was, was I was just constantly sending this stream of enemies. So again, it's like I'm, I, I'm containing my opponent, right? which again is the computer, probably on easy or something embarrassing. <laughs> But I'm containing them, but I couldn't ever make any meaningful progress because it was just, it was like playing foxhole with, with no direction where you just right. run in and just get murked. <laughs> so I think some of that is that the specific strategy of the resource management of the game. Mm. And so there's only two resources or, you know, in a lot of strategy games, there are two resources, but they're a little bit different in Supreme Commander because they're both infinite. And those resources oh. are mass and energy. So you get mass in the beginning from like basically mines, which are a spot on the map you can build a, a mine on and it starts harvesting mass from that spot. And you can upgrade that mine to tier two and tier three as time goes. And it gets you more mass. Um, and this is very high level. There's a lot of other specifics that go into like storage and increasing production or connecting it directly to a facility or whatever and how that changes your gameplay. But for all intents and purposes, that's high level stuff. 
energy you get from power plants, which you build uh, wherever you want them. Or there's a couple, sometimes you find like a hydrocarbon plant, which is like a gas mine, essentially, where it has a spot on the map that you can build a bigger building on that gets you a pretty big influx of that resource. In the mid to late game, though, you can transmute energy into matter. So you can, and everything costs certain amounts of energy and mass to build, and you can get more of them by, you know, having these converters. Mm -hmm. But the other side of that is like every unit that dies becomes a wreck on the map. And you can reclaim that wreck to get mass back. So what happens is it's actually a defender's advantage sort of thing. If a big wave of enemy units comes at you and you kill them all and control that battlefield where everybody just died, now you can send either your commander or some engineers in to clean that up, reclaim like up to 80% of that mass and use that to fuel your own counter push with. So some of the strategy is figuring out when to attack. And if you attack, you have to have an overwhelming advantage. Otherwise, you are feeding the enemy. If they're mm -hmm. smart, then they control the battlefield. Or even the, like, the frontline tug of war can become very tenuous if both enemy commanders are on the front line. It actually does become a more micro game where you're zooming in and keeping eyes and micro, literally microing in the sense of a StarCraft micro where your units are and your commander down to individual units because you want to try to suck up mass from the battlefield more than your opponent does and then punish your opponent if they overstep. And so it can become that tight of a tug of war at some times while you have six other players <laughs> right. on the battlefield, you know, like... So I have to say, I actually am a huge fan of what could be accused of being generic, but in my opinion is, is, a, is maybe the best I've ever heard, that the resources are just called mass and energy. Hey, Walker, do you know our podcast is almost big enough to start selling ads? Yeah, I had noticed that. So what do you think? Should we go mattress company, VPN, some mobile game? Uh, I was kind of thinking maybe coffee. Yeah, I mean, there's some there's some good free trade local. No, no, no. Like Ko-Fi, like donations. Oh, oh, right. So so we we do ads for Ko-Fi and for coffee. I mean, I guess that could work. But I was thinking that people could support the show with really small donations about the cost of a cup of coffee, and then we could skip talking talking about mattress companies or mobile games and just keep all of that content out of the show, uh, they can just head over to our Ko-Fi page over at ko-fi.com slash P-U-I-S-Pod and contribute to us there. Oh, I get it. So you're saying even if our listeners donated a single dollar over at ko-fi.com slash P-U-I-S-Pod, it would go a long way towards funding the podcast. And in the future, we could even offer cool things like merch or rewards and stuff like that. Yeah, no, that's definitely one way that we can pay our bills, keep our mics hot and keep the show going. And if they can't donate, that's okay too let's just let him get back to enjoying the show i'm not mad at minerals and gas because ultimately this is such a tiny point i get it doesn't matter yeah. but like i just kind of appreciate that they just went for it and they were just like you know what it's mass and energy we don't need to dress it up with any anything else like at the, at the end it of the actually, day this is what you are getting it fits into the storyline because like the, they 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 lore it we're like they're at the point technologically where all matter can be broken down and reconfigured at an mm. atomic like nanobot level. So it doesn't matter. Like you reclaim trees and rocks in the early game. The, the first five minutes of the game is destroy the terrain. 
Like it suck up all the trees and rocks for their mass while you're also mining it from an extractor. So <laughs> because any anything can be turned into any other atomic element if you have like you know it's EME equals MC squared. Enough energy becomes mass, enough mass becomes energy. So so I'm trying to think of how to how to word it. So the 3D printer <laughs> yes. is to this technology what the Nintendo Wii is to virtual reality. It, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and a lot of your like your units are 3D printed by lasers. Like and you, you just like your buildings start out as like a digital construction that you are like fill in with a laser. All we get is ashtrays. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) We're working on hearts, you know, hearts and minds, 3d printed. (laughs) Oh, um, well that, yeah, that that's the, the resource management's always interesting and it's, and and like, Hey, 40 minutes, not quite, but almost, um, (laughs) I found a way to work an MMO into this. Uh, so in Crowfall, in the the next patch that they're coming out with, they are redesigning the rules of the zone. So in the the final PvP campaign or whatever you want to call it, world, there are three different types of zones now, and like one of them has the biggest castles that you can capture and cl- and claim and fight over, and you can have up to a hundred alliance members of the same alliance in that zone at once and in those zones is like i think it's tier eight and nine resources 10 is the top well then there's another zone that's like 50 alliance members is the cap there's no big castles in it there's some smaller forts to keep capture and in that it's like resources i think six through eight tiers so lower end uh and then the the newest kind of zone that they have has almost nothing to capture and fight over in it. There's a little bit, but very little. And it's 25 person limit. And that's where the tier nine and 10 resources. So the only place you can get tier 10 resources, which is again, the, the highest level in the game is in the zone that limits the amount of concurrent Alliance players from the same Alliance that can be in it. So what that does is it obviously it prevents it from the zone is just dominated by one single alliance that just ganks everyone. But what it also does is even if that's off the table, no matter how big your alliance is, you could only have 25 people mining tier 10 resources at a time. That's really cool ever. Right. So it's, it's an interesting way to like handicap the powerful, without just completely doing something that's just an obvious nerf to them. Right. right. I don't know. Just, just, re- just, a, it was, to me, it was just a really interesting way of, of kind of using access to resources to balance the game, which is what you're talking about here as yeah. well. Cause when we think about balance, we so often think about like unit composition and upgrade paths and all this stuff, but it can also be done just through resources. So like what you're saying with Supreme Commander, like that's super interesting. The reclaim mechanic might be the most interesting mechanic I've heard of so far, just because like you said, now if someone attacks and doesn't win and can't maintain a presence there, you just got a huge boon actually. Yeah, and like, it's they like, just it gave can you be, a bunch of money. The, the wrecks also have 
HP. Like if something dies at the minute it dies, it's at 80% reclaim value, mm. which can be pretty, that's pretty huge for like, especially tier three units, right? They're right. kind of expensive and a whole bunch of them may have died. So 80% of your army value, like think of that in Starcraft, like 80% of a, of an army is uh, a medevac that yeah. heals everything in, infinitely. Karen <laughs> is unfair. Anyway, right. go well, on. Well, you know, it's a couple thousand <laughs> minerals and like a thousand gas in like right, under right. hundred army. Right. Um, especially in the mid to late game when armies are big and powerful mm-hmm. and that's to get 80% of that back on the other side would, you would just be able to crush your opponent. And so that's kind of, but again, it's, are you waging that your army that you made with those reclaimed materials is going to be enough. Right. And, and so, especially when you're attacking into the positions are important. So some of the other things, man, there's actually a lot to talk about in this game. So I'll try to hit some of them briefly. Like one of the things that's actually really important is positioning and even height of terrain. Oh, right. So if you put guns too close to the bottom of a cliff, they can't shoot units that are on top of the cliff. The shots will hit the cliffside. Well, and isn't it not like just a flat? You're either on the ground floor or the second floor. Like right, it's yeah. There's scaling. there's like 20, 30 levels of terrain that That's you nuts. can you can go over. Yeah, and so there are rolling hills, and you want artillery to be further back to be able to get a shot. The other thing that's huge is that goes along with this, I think, is all of the shots and bullets are rendered. Mm. So outside of maybe lasers, uh, like you can dodge cannon shots. So you can micro. Now, units that get bigger are slower generally and have a harder right. time dodging. But you actually can micro, especially your commander, like serpentine walking with them will help dodge shots and keep you from from getting nuked now there's a lot more aoe damage from like artilleries have big aoe's so dodging those shots you have to get further away from them you know um but between that and the terrain that can offer a lot of huge advantages for where you're setting up forward positions because your base is not just a spot like your your main and your second like in starcraft you can set up a forward base where your commander builds half a dozen turrets and a few walls to force the enemy ai to go a different pathway to get to you mm. and, and to set up a spot that it'll be hard for a bunch of tier one spam to break through so you can set up that forward position and then bring more units behind it so you have a staging area hmm so there's there's a lot, but where you set that up matters and what equipment you're taking there. Are you taking long range missiles that can fire up and over the terrain and, and do a strategic strike? Or are you taking cannons and lasers that if the enemy establishes themselves on the cliff that they you may just get punished for? So, I mean, this is so different, obviously, from what I'm about to say. These are not similar, really, but it almost kind of sounds like you've stumbled into... And I know that they already exist, but the video game version of like Warhammer. Like, and I know there are RTS Warhammers, but they don't really mimic tabletop in a lot of ways. But this, and again, I know it's not Warhammer lore wise or any of that, but it sounds almost, I mean, hearing you describe all these different things reminds me of hearing about Warhammer tabletop where 
there's a lot of considerations that you don't see in like Starcraft or you know, right. Stuff like that. I think it would be the closest thing because, but with everything being automated, in the sense mm. that I don't like a lot of tabletop war games because right. of how many. It's not the special rules in the sense of the spell casting, but the special rules in the range and the damage and the type and the effectiveness and all and of you that. You literally stuff. have to measure it, right? And not having <laughs> to deal with any of that, right? And you just get a, you get radiuses around things, and things will have effective radiuses where, like, a battleship can possibly strike at like half the map, and all it needs is the radar signature, but it can't aim effectively it'll only fire at where the radar signature was and the shots have travel time up to like several seconds right mm -hmm. from a battleship shooting across the map it's going to take several seconds for that shot to travel all the way across the map and land so if they're not a stationary target if it's an army that's moving you may not hit them but then you'll have in medium range it can and will track ahead of the target and then if you have full visibility of the unit that it's uncovered by your fog of war, you have even better targeting. Hmm. And then if it's the units too close to you, you may not be able to shoot down at it because you're an right. artillery unit, you know? So like, but all of that is just handled automatically. So I think that is amazing and great. Yeah. The distances that some things can, especially as you progress into the late game, you get into more of the tactical map. So you spend more and more of your time not microing. And instead, working tactically. So the opponent, maybe you, your opponent went for all of these gunships and bombers to try to snipe your commander, right? But somebody on your team went for air superiority fighters, which are like tier three hyper jet craft. And they're doing a really good job of shutting down bombing and sniping runs. That may open you up to build a nuke silo or six mm. or nuclear submarines or six. And nukes are way more effective than they are in StarCraft. Like, they will just nuke your base. Like, you could lose 20 buildings easily from a single mm. nuke strike. And your opponent can set up six nuclear subs if you have a naval advantage. And set them off repeatedly. So you have to build anti-nukes. Like, mm. like, nuke interceptors. That'll f And so it becomes a... If you can exhaust, if your opponent, if you try to nuke your opponent a bunch and force them to build interception missiles, you can either exhaust them of those interception missiles and land a nuke eventually, or have somebody else switch to a ground attack because now they're defending against nukes and you do a ground push instead. Like, it becomes an actual strategy, in my opinion, game. I thought maybe it would eventually be like real life where it just turns into a cold war and everyone agrees to everyone has nukes. What are we going to do? And eventually no, it's, it's much more mutually assured destruction at that point. <laughs> you are trying to nuke everything your opponent has while they nuke everything you have. So uh, I'm skipping around like I always do, but I think the, I think my favorite sound effect from Starcraft is a siege tank. Like hearing oh, it deploy yeah. and then that first boom, especially if there's a bunch of them, just hearing that volley of booms. It's somewhere between a shotgun, like the satisfying sound of a shotgun kind of clack and mm -hmm. uh, the, the explosion. Yeah. So where and I know you're a big, obviously, audiophile kind of person. Where does uh, where does Supreme Commander's sound effects, not the music, but sound effects land? 
then again, giving it grace for being 14 years old. Yeah, I would say that the really big so which we'll get into, I think, probably next is like the 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 super units um, or experimental units, the tier four, basically stuff in the end game is really satisfying. Mm. Like big explosions are big and maybe not just audio but like in the visuals, the screen shake, the amount of like the length and time that a nuke is happening on screen is maybe like up to 10 seconds where your vision is blinded. A whole area of the map explodes or when a commander detonates, they become a nuclear explosion. So you can kind of suicide run. Like if you're going to die, you want to get into your opponent's face as much as possible. Cause you could mm. chain things will go into chain reactions. If the enemy is low enough on health, when they kill you, they may die as well. Or you could take out a bunch of tier three units. You may want to get your tier three units out because they're really expensive to make and let the tier ones and twos kill, deliver the killing blow to, to like buy you 10 seconds to run your main forces away. Mm-hmm. And like that type of stuff is really satisfying. The early and mid game for the most part is either little piddly plinky stuff, which doesn't, which feels appropriate, I guess appropriate for like, these are still like main battle tanks. Like an M one A one Abrams tank is like a tier one unit. Right. Right. <laughs> and it's like plinky, not dissatisfyingly. So, but it's either one or two units or just a cacophony of noise mm. that I think almost encourages you to zoom away from. Right. Ah, okay. Like, because there's like 400 units on the screen and they're all Gatling guns and lasers and rockets and explosions and minor things. So you're like, meh, you're meant to not care about 400 spider tanks. Like, which I think is really cool. I think it actually lends to the sound design that it's not enticing to look like it's cool to look at when you can zoom way further in than you can even in like Starcraft. Mm-hmm. You can get the cinematic battle shots. And I think that's something that I really like in the EA sports side is that people will zoom all the way in on a naval fleet of missile destroyers that are launching missiles halfway across the map. And there's 30 of them. That Wait are just minute. like. Did you just say EA Sports? Or I meant I meant the 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 um. Oh God. Not EA Sports. <laughs> okay. But the yeah. the e Sports scene. Sorry, that took oh. way longer to get to. <laughs> it's fine. I was just a. I was shocked that you were comparing something you liked to EA. No, it's owned by Squareers. It's owned by Square Enix now. <laughs> well, right, right. No, I know that, but I was just like, A, when do you bring up EA without like vomiting first? <laughs> and B, since when do you compare anything to EA? When's the last time you played an EA sports game? Like what? <laughs> anyway, I'm the sorry. Esports I scene. Yes. The esports side where you have a spectator commentating. Yes, yes. They will zoom all the way in on some of the battles, which is really cool. Like the stuff is animated really well. Yeah. Sound design wise, music, I don't even just shut the music off. Like, okay. it's probably cool. It's generic war gamey command and conquer style. Nothing super impressive about. Yeah, but we can't call now. We can't use generic and command and conquer in the same sentence. Because... I guess. Yeah, because I just thought of the hell march and like, well, and like, like Frank, 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you actually like that. I mean, you I know do. his name. I do. <laughs> well, and to be clear, he has a, to, just for anyone that's not aware, he has a following. Like, it's not like you're right. stalking him alone or something that he's, he's mildly famous. You know, he's not just video game famous. Music. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> as famous as people who made music for video games in the nineties can be in 2021. Right. <laughs> I'm probably doing it a disservice. I haven't like gone and listened to the soundtrack. No, that's, I mean, it, it honestly with, I mean, you're doing a, this is a cliff notes breakdown at, mm -hmm. and we're at an hour and you're not done mm -hmm. of this. So there's a lot more to pay attention to than the music. I mean, the truth right. is, is in Starcraft, as much as I actually do think that Starcraft music is iconic as well, yeah. especially like the Terran stuff. Um, I, I don't, when I, when I think about Starcraft, I'm not thinking about the music, right? right. Like <laughs> right. if I hear the music, I'll know it. Yes, but I'm not thinking. Yeah. And I'm not, I don't think I've heard in a professional match. I haven't heard the music. I've right. heard the commentator and, and the noises, which are good. They're solid noises. It's awesome to hear 30 missile like cruisers launching just like, but it, it but it also dilates. The music is dilated to the zoom level. Mm. So really far out, you'll only hear big booms of our, like artillery and the like your commander is under attack. Mm. Like, but if you zoom all the way in, you'll hear them like of a whole fleet of ships launching hundreds of missiles at your enemy, right. which is pretty great. That's very satisfying. <laughs> well, that's why that's so when I, as I've listened to you describe it, I'm like, what else does he like that's like this? Because, A, there's not a lot of other video games that offer this experience, which is why you've latched onto it. But but then, yeah, that's why I made the Warhammer comparison, because it's it it. It remind because that's what Warhammer, that's the the not to use the word fantasy in the wrong way, but like that's the that's the the appeal of playing tabletop Warhammer is that in your head, what you just described is happening, right? Yes, There's and it, and very much so. I think it, you actually you may not even be aware of Epic Forty K. Do you know of Epic? So Epic Forty K is the forty Forty K tabletop war game, except. Space Marines come on a one inch platform that is like a whole 10 man squad. OK, I think you've told me about this. It's like a it, and it's much smaller army sizes, maybe. No, it's way huge. Oh, way bigger. OK, yeah. yeah. So Epic 40K sometimes. So there's also Apocalypse, which is played with the standard miniatures at huge scale. And then there's Epic 40K where like the Titans are your like 60 millimeter size, like three inch tall. Okay. Or like your city destroying Titans. And or like you may have four land raiders on a single unit piece instead of a land raider being like, you know, five inches by three right. inches or something. Um, It gives that feel in, in Supreme Commander that like an entire 50 man squad of tanks is just a thing that you grab and throw. Right. Like you don't even care about them. Whereas in Starcraft, it's like, I don't even know if you would ever have 50 tanks, but you get my point. Like, right. That's your whole whatever army. massive tanks. Like, yeah, that's your build. Like the whole everything you've done culminates in that. And unless you're like Maru or something, if you didn't win with that, you're done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's probably over. <laughs> 
And uh, but what you do start caring about is when you get to the tier four super units Mm. and tier three, there's quite a bit of distinction as far as what units start being available. Like everybody gets a bomber. Everybody gets an anti-air fighter. Um, Everybody gets like an an air to ground thing. But you start getting specialized units where one faction may have better ground to ground artillery in tier three. But in tier four, you start getting specialized mega constructions that take a ridiculous amount of time to complete. If they're scouted by the enemy and they can destroy them before they're finished being built, then you could stall your enemy out really well. If you are able to finish them and march them across the map, you only get a couple of different units for each race and each your faction and each one is highly specialized in what it does, the tactics it, it uses, and what ways you could punish your enemy by owning one or multiple. Mm. You can't have you can have more than one. Oh, wow. Um, but yeah, they take a ridiculous. So like if you defend against some big push and you're able to reclaim a, a ridiculous amount of mass and you don't have anything to do with it, start building a super unit and They can be anything from an artillery encampment that is like launches 15 to 20 artillery shots in a salvo that that land in an area that's maybe 10 percent of the total map size, which, again, in these massive maps could be your whole frickin base. Right. Right. And so if they complete one and it goes dub, 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 dub. And they, the artillery shots travel the course of the entire map. And if your base doesn't have shields, your whole base is just gone. <laughs> and then it shoots once every five to ten seconds. Like, that's a big problem. Yeah, I think the giant super unit thing uh, is pretty fun. Um, again, I'm relating it to Warhammer, but I don't know if you remember the Dawn of War 3 trailer. Did you ever see that? If not, dude, honestly, I, when we're done, sure I have, but it's not ju- coming up straight up out of the way. It, I mean, it's like an eight year old trailer or something. I don't know how long time ago, but dude, when we're done, you should just go watch that trailer. Uh, it, now, the game did not live up to the trailer. Oh, no. No, no, no. So often the case. Um, but yeah, same thing. They like it shows like these individuals fighting and then zooms out and you realize that like there's actually these giant dark Eldar or whatever they're called uh, massive units. And it's just like, Oh, this is a different fight than what we thought. Like, (laughs) right. And that, and that's what happened. Like, and there are, there's some that are like giant shielded tanks with like 10 different guns that can multi-target. There's Hmm. huge walkers with laser eyes that just sweep the battlefield and, and you be like control it with the mouse where you just wiggle it back and forth and an entire enemy front is obliterated. You know, like there's walking artillery tanks, like walking there's, there are cybern walking battleships. I wanted to call it a walking battleship, but the cybrans actually have naval units that can expand legs and start crawling across the land, which is, it's ridiculous in its own right. But then there are even bigger, artillery guns on legs that you can build like there's a giant ufo that just has a death laser underneath it that like anything you hover just destroy all humans you pretty much right (laughs) (laughs) like 
huh. and battles, and it takes a hundred or two hundred air superiority fighters to bring that thing down. And when it dies, it crashes into the battlefield and could still destroy a bunch of stuff. So I'm I'm curious how much, and this isn't meant to be like a. There's not a, an answer I'm expecting or something here. But how much have you actually been playing versus watching the multiplayer matches? It is mostly watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And again, well, that, and that's completely fine. I, and I mean, frankly, if you were playing single player, you wouldn't see some of the stuff that you're describing because not a, yeah, because the seven v seven is right. where everybody is getting experimental. There's unkillable satellites that just have a slow damage laser. That like, too bad you're on a wow. timer now. <laughs> Better get some work done or build a bunch of shields. <laughs> That's great. Like, so what is, do you have, have you, pl- I mean, when you played, do you have a preference yet or still just experimenting? I'm still kind of experimenting. I mean, like I kind of sway towards the Cybrans cause they're like the all AI thing, mm. but even still, and because walking battleships, like it's a ship that grows legs. I love right. it. <laughs> Happy robot time. <laughs> Right. Yeah, of course. Oh, <laughs> of course. I also do like I haven't gotten to play with the Seraphim, which are kind of like the Eldar or the Protoss, mm-hmm. really. Um, Probably unfairly by... disadvantaged as yeah. as is typical <laughs> for a Protoss like race. Go on. I mean, I definitely don't like the UEF, which are the Terrans, you know, because screw <laughs> Who them. could? Who yeah. could? Right. <laughs> They actually have like an unfair tier one unit that's like just a soldier in power armor that's like really fast. So and a marine. Yeah, a marine. They have marines. They don't <laughs> they just don't have to research stim. Otherwise right. it's just a marine. <laughs> Faster than a zergling on creep. Awesome. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they are really fast. They're like faster than tanks. Like this person is what, running at sixty miles an hour? Yeah, great. Okay. Right. Cool legs. Because <laughs> those are gone. I um, haven't so I haven't gotten to play much because I haven't gotten in as far into da 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 more stuff that still we haven't gone over. It's like fully supported. It's as if so if Blizzard would have handed over Brood War to the mod community. That's essentially what's happened to Supreme Commander and why mm. it is preferred over Supcom two. Oh, uh, okay. Because there is the mod client Forged Alliance Forever, FAF, mm-hmm. which is a supported multiplayer client for for Supreme Commander Forged Alliance, the expansion pack, that requires, in the mod client, requires you to have a Steam key registered and on file. You have to, I actually had to make my Steam account public temporarily to finish registration. Hmm. <laughs> Because it had to go, excuse me, I had to go finish verifying that I owned a legit key. And if you get banned, it bans your Steam account. Oh, wow. So, like, they're trying to be as legit as possible. And it has mod support for, like, UI mods and even in-game mods. Um, and then it also has a multiplayer, um, what is it called, where you have a, a an MMR system. Oh, um, yep. It has matchmaking. It has group matchmaking where it'll try to balance. They call it like Joe's versus pros where it'll try to balance the amount of MMR on each team as well as oh. it can. there's modded maps and even patch notes for units to change <laughs> unit types from the original game. 
uh, new units and uh, balance notes for all types of different like ranges and damages and things. And Square Enix has basically signed off on it and said, hmm. yeah, go ahead. Like, it, like, like Square Enix will recommend the Forged Alliance Forever client as the official multiplayer support for Supreme Commander. Ah, uh, okay. Which is kind of huge. Right. Like, they don't accept it. Like, they don't have... So, Forged Alliance Forever does not have a license to do anything for Supreme Commander. Okay. But they have a sign-off that Square Enix has said, yeah, this is where you go for multiplayer. Ah, okay. So it's a, a legal gray zone where Square Enix owns all of the content and could, in a moment's notice, DMCA take down the entire multiplayer community. Right. But just doesn't and says, yeah, this is where you go. Hmm. Yeah, I mean... I. I don't know what I wonder what the I wonder what the driver of that is. I wonder if it's because they don't feel like there's enough money in the IP that they're going to because it's kind of like Nintendo didn't really pursue eliminating emulators and ROMs until they realized that they could just do that on their own store. Well, and then even let's like the Kaizo community go like yeah. emulators and ROMs are bad. But Kaizo hacks can only be played in ROM hack editors or manipulated cartridges. So unrelated to the topic at hand here for this episode, but I will just say quickly. Um, so nin the Nintendo Switch recently had its N64 pack added to its Nintendo Switch online oh, offering. Okay. Um, and yeah, some really bad problems out of the gate with quality of, because it's emulators is what they're I mean, right i mean it's emulated right. on the switch it's not like there's super nintendo hardware in there or whatever 64 hardware and yeah like really bad like screen tearing problems and just weird animation issues and it's like it it just shows that the the quote-unquote amateur emulation community is more skilled than they're given credit for oh yeah because they yes. did it better than nintendo now to nintendo's credit they haven't been developing it i'm sure for a decade but still I mean, even like AM2R, the the Metroid yeah. 2 remake, like Nintendo didn't do that. They shut it down, but there's probably some some jealousy on the Nintendo <laughs> side. Like, <laughs> you're probably not wrong. You're probably not wrong. This one person did in two years what our team of thousands couldn't do. Right. You know, in the decades since, like they've had the time to make their own emulator that they just always keep up to date and in the background right but they don't right like yeah meh. but anyway yeah it's, it's just just it's just interesting to see how different companies you know uh approach this or whatever i mean blizzard for so long would take down private wow servers and then eventually released wow classic or whatever nintendo now tries to resell their their old stuff um and and to be clear, I don't begrudge them that they're the ones yeah. that created it and it's their right to sell it. So that's fine. But it is cool to see a company here not take that stance with it and just and be like, you know what? It's fine. Yeah, like, you're checking Steam keys. We're making we're still making the money. Right. So why not let the community live? Like, so I wonder so if you they bought got it five on, bucks out of me for two games that I haven't played. If, in a if you bought it on GOG, then you can't play. I think you can redeem 
certain certain places i think gog or maybe humble bundle or gog will let you redeem it as a steam key okay sometimes or you can associate it to your steam account and they can check that i think specifically gog isn't supported by forged alliance forever yet Mm. um because they require a steam the steam validation is all that they have they've talked about trying to do gog validation but it's just not fully supported yet so if yeah. you want the Forged Alliance Club Forever client and full multiplayer support, you have to go through Steam. Um, and they're like, we're sorry, but this is the only way that we can do it and try to stay legally right. in good standing with Square Enix, which is what we need to keep the multiplayer servers up. So right. spend your $5. <laughs> like When it's on sale. When it's, it's on sale, yeah. It's 25 for both right. otherwise. Right. So... You also played Planetary Annihilation, mm-hmm. and you did, it didn't really resonate for very long with you. It didn't. I like the idea of Planetary Annihilation, and I think from a spectator's side, as somebody that... And again, I think even for Supreme Commander, like I'd, I tried to get in... I, I had talked with you kind of separately about this. I tried to get in and do the like onboarding for competitive online play. And it's like a 30, 40 page word doc that explains build orders and why you want mass over energy or energy over mass and how to set up a two ground, one air scenario versus three ground versus, you know, one ground, two air. And like, there's far more complexity to the early game than uh, my poor little brain can handle as a casual (laughs) player like i'm too casual i'm too casual if i wanted to pick it up i would have to say this is the game that i want to play right and and part of me wants to yeah part of me really does because it's cool supreme commander is just awesome i mean worst case scenario you just walk back away a few weeks later or something you know what i mean but i think that was the other side of it is that it takes a lot of setup to get a new computer with two monitors to ignore. Like I tried, I started getting in, but like if I moved my mouse to the bottom of the screen to screen scroll, it would move to my second monitor, even though my Uh, second monitor was disabled and it wouldn't screen scroll. And then I couldn't, I couldn't complete the first step of the tutorial, which is like, move your commander to the yellow mark. (laughs) (laughs) Put your mouse at the edge of the screen to scroll it down. You're like, yeah, I, was like nope. the, I think it was the second step. First step Heart was like, stop. scroll scroll in and out to zoom the camera. And I was like, okay, I did that. And I've scrolled to a spot where I can't see my commander anymore. It's like, move your commander to the yellow area. And I'm like, I need to move down. I need to scroll the screen. Where Do the arrow keys work? Like, can I do Just crap? <laughs> oh, that is... That is great because those tutorials are insufferable <laughs> because it's like, yeah, I've played a video game before and someone who's never played a game isn't starting with this one. So right. let's leave it out. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> but I can't do it. I fail. I failed the tutorial at move at look around at targets on the screen <laughs> like, nope, can't do it. <laughs> oh, man, that's great. So makes- I need. I need to go install some mods and like do some configuration. But as we all know, once I get all the mods installed for a game, I'm done with it. Then you uninstall it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. As is tradition. It it reminds me of the opening. It's like the opening scene in Halo Combat Evolved where Master Chief like wakes up out of the, I don't know, 
pod or whatever he's in. Mm -hmm. And that's the first thing they have you do is like practice the movement, which at that time, to their credit, it was actually somewhat new to look around and move with the two thumbsticks on the original Xbox and Halo. Um, but it's 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 the same tutorial, but they mask it instead of it being a tutorial. They're like, hey, chief, let's make sure you're still working after you've gotten out of your right. cryopod or whatever. Right. But if you're in there, you're just like, I'm going back to the pod, actually. Like, yeah. I can't. <laughs> I can't. Like, I can't do I can't it. Do this. Nope, I'm broken. <laughs> what happens if my suit's messed up? Can we fix this? <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that I actually watched. A, this is super tangenting now. I watched a recent video on like tutorials and games and doing them mm. right and doing them wrong. And then also hidden mechanics that are actually good to do right as a game designer. And I think it was, I don't remember exactly. I'm going to butcher this. I think it was a ratchet and clank game. Okay. That like the most recent one that has you like look up into the right at this enemy unit. And depending on your inputs, if you, are used to inverted controls. So you look down into the left, it adjusts. And like, as you enter down into the left before it renders it on screen, there's a lag and it'll set your controls to inverted because you looked down into the left. It'll instantly move you to look up into the right hmm. and then set your controller scheme to inverted Y axis. Hmm. And I was like, that's genius. People that use inverted Y axis are like people that put, uh, milk in the bowl before cereal. I'll never understand it. <laughs> like, come on, come on. You're not a fighter pilot. Just do it right. Come on. But I mean, but the fact that they're <laughs> checking for that in that whole like, hey, Master Chief, oh yeah, look yeah. up into the right, right, and you push down as your first input. It goes, oh, you're an inverted player. Cool. We'll just adjust your settings for you without you having to go into the settings menu and set that up. Right. Like. It's it's like, oh, you're a left-handed player? Cool. We'll detect that before you even know it. So this is where deep learning AI has finally taken us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yep>. Changing control <laughs> schemes at an input. <laughs> press the jump button. It doesn't tell me what button is jump. No, no, just press whatever button you whatever want. Whatever you jump want, man. <laughs> we'll just map your controls as you go. <laughs> but that I, would be... That could be, I mean, it would be, it, that would be so taxing to code that it wouldn't be worth it for the payoff. But how cool would that be if you really could pick up a game and it's just like, I don't know, what feels good? Like, what yeah, do you, what feel, what do you good? want? Yeah. What's like, the combo? What's the 40 hit combo? You yeah. give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, game. Huh. But yeah, yeah. So I couldn't complete. So I, I do kind of want it. There's a part of me that wants to play. I, I think that my perfectionism and want to be good at the game will come in complete conflict against the like scroll all the way in and watch the robots shoot each other <laughs> watch the zealot ponytail bounce yeah, exactly yeah. exactly yeah, yeah i don't think there's a part of me that when i watch pro matches i'm like oh they don't have enough anti-nuke it's past the 15 minute mark they should be an building anti-nuke defenses at least a little bit to see what their opponent's going to do. And yep, oh, they got nuked. Okay, well, I was right. You know, like, that's way more satisfying than the panic of like, oh, here's an entire second player's base that you just inherited. Right. And uh, you're on both the front line and air support and have four other team members yelling at you that you don't have air superiority fighters built. Like, do you, and I don't know if you would know this, um just from watching but 
is it as demanding hotkey wise as something like StarCraft or because it's not as micro intensive as it like, and again, maybe you just have, would have no idea, but like are, are people building a base and issuing commands all simultaneously, which is basically what people are doing in StarCraft, which is what demands that, you know, APM. I would say if you want to be good, yes. Okay. So there's, you can, in Forged Alliance Forever, in the client, I'm not sure if this is in the base game or not, so my apologies to the diehard FAF player that's in, <laughs> that's that's listening to our show. Um, <laughs> but We see you, fam. We see you. Um, there's blueprinting for base items. Mm. So you can have blue, like tier one, tier two, tier three blueprints for different types of setups that you want to play for hmm. a mass extractor that has four, you know, storage depots around it, which actually increase the amount of mass it can produce or a mass extractor tied directly to a ground production facility, which increases its production by a percentage margin. Like there's a setup for a hydrocarbon plant with a certain amount of storages or late game energy matter mass to energy you know structures or different setups for turret builds because like you can set up a turret with a certain amount of walls around it or being able to start the construction of a, a very wide building or a very large building like a factory while you're running away from units you can just start construction of a building put like 10 mass into it and now it's a wall that they have to move around and can't shoot around, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so being able, there is micro in the game, right? Um, and you can hotkey groups of units. I've seen some really cool tactical things where people, uh, players launch a third of their army forward, like especially air attacks. They send in a third of their army and half of their bombers to cause a reaction from the enemy, hoping that they overreact and following up with two thirds air supporty air superiority fighters to wipe out that overreaction and then respond with an air to ground attack of, you know, assault fighters or bombers in some other way. Hmm. And so having those things hotkeyed so that you can perform these very strategic attacks is important it's just not on the blink micro level. Right. It, I think there's still probably the same amount of APM going on and timing your landfall in timing and building out. You could have 30 or 40 factories. And so queuing up your units properly and switching your build orders, monitoring and microing your commander, you know, managing your army, whether it's a ground army or a one-time, you know, arrival of transport units that drop off a dozen builders to try to set up a stage on an enemy front. Like, there's a lot going on. So I would say there's probably still the amount, same amount of micro. It's just different. Right, right. No, that makes sense. I don't know. I mean, it sounds like a, it sounds like a, a pretty awesome game, and, and it's it's super interesting that it's as old as it is. Um, I don't because the truth is, is that it. I don't know. I mean, there's just, there's, there's segments of time where like, and and obviously, you know, Mario on NES still holds up or whatever. So there are games even older than that, that are still viable today. 
but I feel like like we're getting to a technological place where like like I I don't know when the first Mario came out. I'm going to call it 1986 without looking it up. In the year 2000, if you played Mario from 1986, which would be a 14-year gap, it would be very obvious that it's a 14-year-old game, right? Like the the gap in in technology just visually is so different. And I'm sure that something that was made brand new today to take advantage of all of today's hardware probably looks way better than Supreme Commander would, right? Probably. But at the same time, like, once you get to, like, mid to late 2000s and on, not that everything holds up, it doesn't, but there's a chance that you have stuff that kind of just stands the test of time. Yeah, I mean, it it could, sure, I'm sure. Like, like Planetary Annihilation looks better than Supreme Commander. Right. It 100% does. But it also chugs. The maps aren't as big. Whole planets aren't even as big as whole right. maps of Supreme Commander. Um, and you're just re- not rendering as much. Like, Supreme Commander looks really good, especially when you see high... Like, the way 250 air superiority fighters swarm when they attack automatically is, a th- to me, a thing of beauty to watch. Right. Like, they don't all zero in on one point like Mutalisks would in StarCraft, where they all try to move to the same location and overlap each other. Like, there's some AI going on where they will attack from all directions at once. And it doesn't look like a a starburst pattern. It looks like a swarm of the, the, you know, enemies in, like, the Matrix movies, where, like, Mm -hmm. the the octopus, like... Right. Squiddies. Yeah, the Sentinels are moving around in this weird kind of tendrils of patterns. You'll see some of that happening. And it's like the amount that's being calculated at any given moment for a 7v7 map is ridiculous. And it's not Tomb Raider graphics either. It's not like six polygons for a battleship. They look like a battleship and they're firing missiles that are being rendered that when you zoom all the way out become single yellow blips on the map. And when you zoom all the way in are rockets with rocket flames behind them. Like, yeah, that ability to zoom in and out to create a world map versus, you know, or be zoomed into the battlefield just in one scrolling session is Mm -hmm. so cool. I like, it's kind of like, like no man's sky for all the things that it does or doesn't do or whatever. The fact that you can get in a ship, point it to space and go there and then find another planet and go through the atmosphere and land on it all seamlessly. Or like any of the stars that are rendered in the backdrop are actual locations that you could fly to. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's just cool. (laughs) It may take you an eternity to get there, but you could, if you wanted. Right. And when you get there, the procedurally generated creatures that you find might not be that different from the ones that you found (laughs) the first hour in, but But they're still different. They're different, <laughs> especially now. Now that game yeah, has now that now they're getting way. Now the game there. is what they said it was in 2016. Yes, basically. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think it's just I think it's great. Like, go find a recent. Then there are there are recent commentated playthroughs actively this month right now of games of Supreme Commander Forged Alliance Forever being played, being commentated 
uh, ladder games, pro games, pro matches, Joe's versus pros where there's seven V sevens where some, you could be a new player that lands a lucky nuke and, and gets your, your team on point. Like, right. I think it's awesome that that exists. Yeah. I mean, you, and maybe you just answered it to some extent, but you know, the, the, the quintessential question of the show, why would you say Supreme commander matters? I think that, yeah, I mean, some of that is there's an active community right now, which is awesome. I think some of it is like, it's still as for as old as it is. I think it is, there's a delineation point between command and conquer and Starcraft where Supreme commander went the command and conquer route, giant armies, big tactical maps, huge innovations in the actual tactics. When your units arrive how your waypoints a lot. Like I want my fighters to fly slower, right? Like that doesn't mm-hmm. happen. And you have to do that manually in Starcraft. Right. Um, I want to screen my high level units with a bunch of Zerglings. Like if I were to have the Zerg and Supreme commander and have 800 Zerglings on screen behind two or three ultralisks that could attack over the Zerglings and aren't pathing blocked by them. Like, Oh, that'd be glorious. Like giant maps, huge maps. And the sense and feeling that my commander is taller than trees and sucks up trees for fuel. Like, and tanks are little, but still important. Like the grand scale of the battles happening to me is more important. This is the, one of the few times that is the mechanics over the story. I do not give a care about the story. I want to see battleships grow legs and walk on land and attack 20 at a time while 400 tiny spider bots screen in front of them. Like, right. It's just a grand. And then one nuke lands and takes all that out. And I couldn't stop it. Right. But then leaves a defender's advantage where they go and vacuum up all of those battleships and spider bots and then have what they need to build an army to retaliate with. Where, like, losing could be beneficial. Where, like, you may have lost the battle or tied the battle, but if you can get to the wreckage of the battlefield, which is real time. Right. It's not just a a, a scenario, scenic item on the map. Like, going in a dynamic resource placement. It would be like if you destroyed your whole enemy army and a bunch of crystals fell on the ground for you in StarCraft. You know, like... It's just there's so much that Supreme Commander did to innovate that I still don't think anybody has really pushed the limits on. Yeah, no, I think that's I mean, that's excellent. And I think that um, I don't know for for whatever reason, you know, obviously Starcraft won the RTS game, (laughs) if you will. Um, But Starcraft 2 came out in 2010 and even Legacy of the Void was 2016. Uh, you know, Age of Empires 4 just came out, but I haven't played it yet. But everything I've read is that it's like modern UI old game, right? right? Like, and and I don't know because, you know, the Dawn of War series, not in the same ways. And, and again, the third one was not well received, but the Dawn of War series innovates on RTS in, in ways that StarCraft does not this right or planetary annihilation while i think planetary annihilation 
and this is as an observer, it seemed like it just got too caught up on, on its own gimmick of like, yes, you can launch shoot a moon at Yeah, launch a moon at your opponents. Right. And it's like, I mean, that's fine, but that's. I, I, I think just, it left the strategy behind for right. the fidelity. Right. The, the rule of cool is what planetary annihilation in it. And Supreme Commander is much more the strategy. But it's cool that they still tried in planetary annihilation. Planetary annihilation. Like, even though it didn't yeah. work and it ended up being gimmicky, like, at least it was different. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but I don't, I don't think it's StarCraft's fault right and not that you implied that it was but i just no. mean like for whatever reason the rts space has not been able to capture the attention of the gaming world in the way that mobas and shooters have mobas kind of took kind of stole the thunder of the rts yes um, it, it went the hero route it went the hero route the thing that i hated is what everybody else loved. well and it's it, i mean it, it takes away base building entirely right yep. like it's just the hero there is no army there's the units the the creeps are just an auto generating thing that you just yep. fight um which is fine like it's just yeah. a different genre i mean supreme cool. commander could have ended up there where right. your base builds itself and sends a tug of war bunch of waves and your commander is all that's important right could have gone there it didn't right Maybe and it did in Supreme Commander 2. That's not as popular. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Turns out it's free to play, but there's battle chess. Like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm really interested to see. You know, it's easy when, when you hear about Frost Giant Studios, uh, which is the people that left Blizzard to make their own RTS studio. When you hear about that, it's like, well, how interesting is it going to be? Like, is it just going to be like a more modern take of StarCraft or something? Because it's easy to think when you think about RTS of StarCraft. It's a gold and, standard. Right. And I don't know. Like, this conversation gives me hope that, you know, while those guys might not make the next Supreme Commander, like, maybe it'll be some amalgamation of all of this that we haven't thought of before, which is yeah, always like, when games are coolest. <laughs> take the population limit off of StarCraft and see how OP Zerg is then. Like. Right. <laughs> right. Well, anything else you wanted to cover on Supreme Commander? It's like, seriously, even if you don't want to play it, go give a pro match a watch. Like, go go look, just Google some Supreme Commander and YouTube. Set your time zone or range to stuff in the last month or two. Go watch a couple of matches like they're long. They are long games. They're like 45 minutes. And the first maybe 15 minutes are going to be stuff that you don't really understand or care about. May not be that exciting. Hell, to skip to the middle and just watch from there and see, you know, what you feel. And like, you may find, at least as a background entertainment, watching a team come back for, you know, 3v7 and win the game is still really cool to see happen. And it can happen in Supreme Commander and does. And it's it's really awesome to watch. I, I love that idea that that hope that it gives me that I could play it professionally. <laughs> right. Right. So well, that's awesome. But yeah, outside of that, I love it. I think it's really cool. I love the concept too of, of just a, a lot of the way the, the mechanics match the story of vacuuming up broken tanks to build your own tanks with like, it's good. I like it. So that's all for our episode today. If you like this episode, consider buying us a coffee at our Ko-Fi page, which is ko-fi.com slash P-U-Y-S pod. Or just tell a friend about us, because word of mouth really does make a difference. 
All of our links and social accounts are available down in the show notes. And if you want to hear more content from either of us, Walker hosts The Walk Show, which talks about the walk of life while interviewing various guests, as well as the Crowfall podcast, sharing stories and perspectives about the MMO of the same name. My personal podcast, Dungeons and Dinners, is where the love of fantasy is food for thought. 